Chapter Five of The Clue by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five A Case for the Coroner. It was characteristic of Miss Morton that she went straight to her own room and shut the door. Mrs. Markham, on the other hand, went to the room occupied by Kitty French. Molly Gardner was there, too, and the two girls, robed in kimonos, were sitting white-faced and tearful-eyed, waiting for some further news from the room whence they had been banished. Mrs. Markham told them what Dr. Leonard had said, but Kitty French broke out impetuously, "'Madeline never killed herself, never. I know she always said that about the dagger, but she never really meant it. And anyway, she never would have done it the night before her wedding. I tell you, she didn't do it. It was some horrid burglar who came in to steal her presents who killed her. I would almost rather it had been so, Kitty dear, said Mrs. Markham, gently stroking the brow of the excited girl. But it could not have been, for we are very strong locks and bolts against burglars and Harris is very careful in his precautions for our safety. "'I don't care. Maddy never killed herself. She wouldn't do it. I know her too well. Oh, dear, now there won't be any wedding at all. Isn't it dreadful to think of that decorated room and the bower we planned for the bride?' At these thoughts Kitty's tears began to flow afresh and Molly, who was already limp from weeping, joined her. "'There, there,' said Mrs. Markham, gently patting Molly's shoulder. "'Don't cry so, dearie. It can't do any good, and you'll just make yourself ill.' "'But I don't understand,' said Molly, as she mopped her eyes with her wet ball of a handkerchief. "'Why did she kill herself?' "'I don't know,' said Mrs. Markham, but her expression seemed to betoken a sad suspicion. "'She didn't kill herself,' reiterated Kitty. "'I stick to that, but if she did, I know why.' This feminine absence of logic was unremarked by her hearers, who both said, "'Why?' "'Because Schuyler didn't love her enough,' said Kitty earnestly. She just worshipped him, and he used to care more for her, but lately he hasn't. "'How do you know?' asked Molly. "'Oh, Madeline didn't tell me,' returned Kitty. "'I just gathered it. I've been here most a week. You know I came several days before you did, Molly. And I've noticed her a lot. Oh, I don't mean I spied on her, or anything horrid.' Only I couldn't help seeing that she wished Mr. Carleton would be more attentive. "'Why, I thought he was awfully attentive,' said Molly. "'Oh, attentive, yes. I don't exactly mean that. But there was something lacking. Don't you think so, Mrs. Markham?' "'Yes, Kitty, I do think so.' In fact, I know that Mr. Carleton didn't give Madeline the heart-whole affection that she gave him. 
but I hoped it would all turn out all right, and I surely never dreamed it was such a serious matter as to bring Madeline to this. But she was a reserved, proud nature, and if she thought Mr. Carleton had ceased to love her, I know she would far rather die than marry him. But she could have refused to marry him, cried Molly. She didn't have to kill herself to get rid of him. She didn't kill herself, stubbornly repeated Kitty, but Mrs. Markham said, Don't you understand Maddy's nature, Molly? She must have had some sudden and positive proof of Mr. Carleton's lack of true affection for her to drive her to this step. But once convinced that he did not care for her, I know her absolute despair would impel her to the desperate deed. "'Why didn't he love her?' said Molly, who could see no reason why any man shouldn't love the magnificent Madeline. "'I think,' said Kitty slowly, "'there was somebody else.' "'How did you know that?' exclaimed Mrs. Markham sharply, as if she had detected Kitty in some wrongdoing. "'I don't know it, but I can't help thinking so.' Madeline has sometimes asked me if I didn't think most men preferred gentle, timid disposition to a strong, capable nature like her own. Of course, she didn't express it just like that, but she hinted at it so wistfully that I told her no, she was the splendidest, most adorable woman in the whole world. I meant it, too, but at the same time, I do think men most always love the soft, tractable kind of girls that are not so imperious and awe-inspiring as Maddy was. Surely Kitty ought to know, for she was the most delicious type of soft, tractable femininity. Her round, dimpled face was positively peachy, and her curling tendrils of goldy hair clustered round a low white brow above appealing violet eyes. A man might admire the haughty Madeline, but he would caressingly love bewitching little Kitty, and would involuntarily feel a sense of protection toward her, because of the shy trustfulness in her glance. This was not entirely ingenuous, for a wise little Kitty quite understood her own charm, but it was natural, and in no way forced and she was quite content that her lines had fallen in her own pleasant places, and she left the magnificent Madelines of the world to pursue their own roles. But she had admired and loved Maddie Van Norman, and just because of their differing natures, had understood why Schuyler Carleton's affection was tempered with a certain sense of inferiority. "'You know,' she went on, as if thinking aloud, Everybody was a little afraid of magnificent Maddy. She was so superb, so regal. You couldn't imagine yourself cuddling her. I should say not, exclaimed Molly. I could only imagine salaaming to her, or deferentially kissing her hand. Yes, that's what I mean. Well, Mr. Carleton got tired of that stilted kind of an attitude or at least she thought he did. I don't know, I'm sure, 
but she was possessed with a notion that he cared for some other girl, someone of the clinging rosebud sort. "'Do you know this?' asked Mrs. Markham. "'I mean, do you know that Maddie thought this?' "'Yes, I know it,' asserted Kitty, with a wag of her wise little head. I tried to persuade her that no clinging rosebud could rival a tall, proud lily, but she thoroughly believed there was someone else. "'But Mr. Carlton was to marry her,' said Mrs. Markham. "'I can't believe he would do that if he loved another.' "'That's what bothered Maddy,' said Kitty. "'She knew how honorable Mr. Carlton had always been.' and she said that as he was engaged to her he would think it his duty to marry her even though his heart belonged to someone else oh pshaw said molly if he was going to marry her and didn't love her it was because of her fortune probably his rosebud girl hasn't a cent don't talk like that said kitty shuddering somehow it seems disloyal to both of them but it is all true said mrs markham sadly madeline has never been of a confidential nature but i know that she had the idea kitty tells of and i fear it was true and i may be disloyal or even unjust but i can't help thinking schuyler was attracted to maddy's money he is proud and ambitious and he would be quite in his element as the head of a fine establishment with plenty of money to spend on it. "'Well, he'll never have it now,' said Molly, and as this brought back the realization of the awful event that had happened, both girls burst into crying again. Mrs. Markham, herself with overwrought nerves, found she could do nothing to comfort the girls, so left them and went to commune with her grief in her own room. Meantime, the two doctors alone in the library were still in discussion. "'Well, what do you want?' inquired Dr. Leonard angrily. "'Do you want to imply, and with no evidence whatever, that the girl died by some hand other than her own?' Do you want to involve the family in the expense and unpleasant publicity of a coroner's inquest, when there is not only no reason for such a proceeding, but there is every reason against it? I want nothing but to get at the truth, rejoined Dr. Hills, a little ruffled himself. I hold that a young woman, unless endowed with unusual strength, or possibly under stress of intense passion, could not inflict upon herself a blow strong enough to drive that dagger to the hilt in her own breast, pull it forth again, and cast it on the floor, and after that place her arm in the position it now occupies. Dr. Leonard looked thoughtful. "'I agree with you,' he said slowly. "'That is, I agree that it does not seem as if a woman could do that.' but my dear dr hills miss van norman did do that we know she did from her own written confession and also by the theory of elimination what else could have happened have you any suggestions to advance 
Dr. Hills was somewhat taken aback at Dr. Leonard's suddenness. Up to this moment, the county physician had stoutly maintained that the case was a suicide beyond any question, and then turning, he had put the question to the younger doctor in such a way that Dr. Hills was not quite ready with an answer. No, he said hesitatingly, I have no theory to advance, and, moreover, I do not consider this an occasion for theories, but we must ascertain the facts. I state it as a fact that a woman could not stab herself as Miss Van Norman is stabbed, withdraw the dagger, and then place her right arm on the table in the position you see it. And I assert that you are stating what is not a fact, but merely your own opinion. Dr. Hills looked disconcerted at this. His companion was an older and far more experienced man than himself, and not only did Dr. Hills have no desire to antagonize him, but he wished to show him the deference that was justly his due. "'You are right,' he said frankly. "'It is merely my own opinion. But now will you give me yours, based not on the written paper, but in the position and general effect of the body of Miss Van Norman?' Put thus in his medal, Dr. Leonard looked carefully at the dead girl, whose pose was so natural and graceful that she might have been merely sitting there, resting. He gazed long and intently, and then said slowly, "'I see your point, Dr. Hills. It was a vigorous blow, suddenly and forcefully given. It could scarcely have been done had the subject been a frail, slight woman. But Miss Van Norman was of a strong, even athletic build and her whole physical makeup indicates strength and force of muscle. Your observation as to her apparent natural position is all right so far as it goes, but I have observed more carefully still, and I notice her evident physical strength, which was doubtless greatly aided by her stress of mental passion, and I aver that a woman of her physique could have driven the blow, removed the weapon, and, perhaps even then unconscious, have thrown her arm on the table as we now see it. "'I thank you, Dr. Leonard,' said Young Hills, "'for your patience with me. You are doubtless right, and I frankly admit you have made out a clear case. Miss Van Norman was indeed a strong woman. I have been the family physician for several years, and I know her robust constitution. Knowing this, and appreciating your superior judgment as to the possibility of the deed, I am forced to admit your opinion is the true one. And yet... Besides, Dr. Hills, went on Dr. Leonard, as the younger man hesitated, we cannot, we must not, ignore the written paper. Why should we do so? Those who know tell us Miss Van Norman wrote it. It is, therefore, her dying statement. Dare we disregard her last message, written in explanation of her otherwise inexplicable act? We may wonder at this suicide, we may shudder at it, 
but we may not doubt that it is a suicide. That paper is not merely evidence. It is testimony. It is incontrovertible proof. Dr. Leonard ceased speaking, and sat silent because he had nothing more to say. Dr. Hills also sat silent, because, try as he might, he could not feel convinced that the older physician was right. It was absurd, he well knew, but every time he glanced at the relaxed pose of that white right arm on the table, he felt more than ever sure that it had lain there just so when the dagger entered the girl's breast. As the two men sat there, almost as motionless as the other still figure, both saw the knob of the door turn. They had closed the double doors leading to the hall on the arrival of Dr. Leonard, and now the knob of one of them was slowly and noiselessly turning round. A glance of recognition passed between them, but neither spoke or moved. A moment later, the knob having turned completely round, the door began to open very slowly. Owing to the position of the two men, it was necessary for the door to be opened far enough to admit the intruder's head before they could be seen, and the doctors waited breathlessly to see who it might be who desired to come stealthily to the library that night. Dr. Hills, whose thoughts worked quickly, had already assumed it was Mrs. Markham coming to gaze once more on her beloved mistress but Dr. Leonard formulated no supposition and merely wanted to see. At the edge of the door appeared first a yellow pompadour, followed by the wide-open blue eyes of Cicely Dupuy. Seeing the two men, she came no further into the room, but gave a sort of gasp and pulled the door quickly shut again. In the still house, the two listeners could hear her footsteps crossing the hall and ascending the stairs. "'Curious, that,' murmured Dr. Hills. "'If she wanted to look once more on Miss Van Norman's face, why so stealthy about it? And if she didn't want that, what did she want?' "'I don't know,' rejoined Dr. Leonard. "'But I see nothing suspicious about it. Doubtless, she did come for a last glance alone at Miss Van Norman, but seeing us here didn't care to enter. But she gave a strange little shuddering gasp, as if frightened. Natural excitement at the strange and awful conditions now present. Yes, no doubt, Dr. Hill spoke a bit impatiently. The phlegmatic attitude of his colleague jarred on his own overwrought nerves, and he rose and walked about the room, now and then stopping to scrutinize anew the victim of the cruel dagger. At last he stood still across the table from her, but looking at Dr. Leonard. "'I have no suggestion to make,' he said slowly. "'I have no theory to offer.' but I am firmly convinced that Madeline Van Norman did not strike the blow that took away her life. 
perhaps this is more a feeling or an intuition than a logical conviction but he hesitated and looked intently at the dead girl as if trying to force the secret from her with a sudden start he took a step forward and as he spoke his voice rang with excitement dr leonard he said in a quick concise voice will you look carefully at that dagger yes said the older man impressed by the other's sudden intensity and stepping forward he scrutinized the dagger as it lay on the table without however touching it there is blood on the handle went on dr hills yes several stains now dried and do you see any blood on the right hand of miss van norman startled at the implication dr leonard bent to examine the cold white hand not a trace of blood was on it instinctively he looked at the girl's left hand only to find that also immaculately white dr leonard stood upright and pulled himself together i was wrong dr hills he said with a nod which in him betoked an unspoken apology it is a case for the coroner end of chapter five